Hey, and welcome to Gizmo Sapiens Show 230. Um, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a Happy New Year to all of our listeners. I'm Chris, and today with me is... I am Matt. And uh, we're going to... We we did not make our goal this year of 12 shows. Uh, I counted them up, and this will be show number 8 for the 2023 year. So we did pretty good. We did better than, than uh, half, more than half. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, as a matter of fact, we did 66%. <laughs> so we got a D. <laughs> I can live with it. Yeah, me too. We pass. Yeah. It, uh, it was been, it's been pretty busy this year um, for both me and Matt. And uh, so, in this last couple of months, since September 30th, the federal year end, I have been busier than a one-armed paper hanger. <laughs> you know, it just... It never stops. Um, hence why we, we didn't meet our goal was really my fault, not Matt's fault. <clears throat> that being said, there's quite a bit to talk about. Some of it I'm not going to linger on because the news is a little bit old. But uh, there's some important things that, from a technology perspective, I want to talk about. And then there's some important things on pop culture we'll talk about. Um, what do you want to do first? Technology, pop culture. Let's get uh, Let's get the tech stuff out of the way. Okay, so... Apple released their M3 chips. Uh, it, from a performance perspective and the AI capabilities on the chip, uh, they're very amazing. I'm not going to go through the specs because they they released the M3, the M3 Pro, and the M3 Max. Uh, they have not released what would be the equivalent of the M3 Ultra yet, but it's coming, and we know it's coming. Um, the more important part is I went to the Supercomputing uh, 23 conference in Denver, Colorado, last month, the, the week before Thanksgiving, and <clears throat> one of the key takeaways of that show is that as we move into more normalized use in the data center of supercomputing, we're, the, the power draw has got to come down. We just, it's not a green thing. It is, we don't have enough electricity generation to be able to power the amount of compute that they need. And will not be able to, you know, the power companies are, for, for the most part, power companies are part of the government. Um, they're slow, they have a huge bureaucracy, and um, they're not going to, unless, unless somebody wants to invest and pay for it themselves and then hand it over to the power company, they're, they're not going to invest the way they should to, you know, to support this capability but then you you throw in all the green stuff on top of that and you know where does all that waste heat go how do you cool things all that so <clears throat> you know apple's at the forefront of uh, of moving us to a world where arm chips not just power your iphone or your ipad or your android phone but they power everything and part of the reason is is you're you're getting extremely high performance a very large number of cores. You can do these unified chips have cores that are dedicated for high performance, cores that are dedicated for normal tasks, cores that are dedicated for I.O. Uh, and they're much more efficient than the old x86 uh, AM64 uh, architecture. And like a good example is that Intel, the uh, TDP on a 13th gen Xeon is like, which is a server chip, mind you, but you can see the correlation even with their desktop chips, is around 650 watts. And you typically, you put two of those in a server, and then you have to have power to power all the peripherals that are in there, hard drives, SSDs, memory, all of that. So we talk about, a, a in the data center world, we talk about a, a a uh, 2U server or even a 4U server having uh, a 2 or 4,000 watt requirement. Um, well, the 14th gen servers that, or Xeons that have been in testing are double that TDP wise. So you're talking about like 1,200 to 1,300 watts required just for the CPU to function. So we're doubling the 
And, and that's not for a huge performance increase. But, you know, Intel will quit selling 13th gen products and they will then only sell 14th gen products for a while. Uh, and then 15th gen. So that, it, it looks like Moore's Law is not because we can't get more power out of the chip. It's because we can't put enough power into it because they're so power hungry. And that definitely has a, a uh, deleterious effect for all the services people want to run, whether it's Netflix or ChatGTP or you name it, uh, that, that we've come to, as the world has become um, reliant on digital technology, that it, we just can't support going that way. And that's where ARM comes in, because there, there's an ARM server vendor called Ampere who uh, they're really big in the telco companies because their their TDP for a server that is as powerful as, as your typical Xeon server um, is like 650 watts for the whole server, you know? And so as we need more and more and more of these, that, uh, that power economy of scale means that we need less power and cooling to move forward. And I think that's pretty important um, and that's why the why Apple and and Qualcomm has their new Snapdragon chip for Windows laptops coming out. Um, why they're the, that the consumer side of the industry has moved that way, uh, largely in part because it all got developed for cell phones, but it's now powerful enough to power other devices that we require. But longer battery life takes less time to charge, you know gives off less heat, which means you don't have to have as much cooling. All of that plays into moving forward with these technologies. So I, I, that was one I wanted to talk about. Uh, there's a couple others that I thought were funny. Um, uh, but w probably another one from uh, just from the Apple perspective is that um, Apple is going to support RCS on the on on iMessage, uh, which means that, you know, there will be, that, that new protocol will, will replace MMS and SMS text messaging, but for a large part, I don't think it will change the way iMessage works, and that's fine with me. Part of the reason I use iMessage is not only because everybody in my family has iPhones, um, but the other reason is, is because it's encrypted end-to-end. -end. And RCS does not support that. And I can hear people grinding, but the problem is, is whose implementation is going to be the standard? Because nobody, no, nobody, uh, even including cell phone vendors, don't want to talk about that because they may want to implement RCS on Android in a totally different way than Google wants it implemented. Hence why Samsung has their own Android-based operating system. Uh, that is separate from Android that they also sell on their own phones. They, uh, so, you know, it's nice to have open standards, but those should be things like TCP IP, you know, how all the things talk to each other. But it's, why is it, what I don't understand is why is it so important for Android users to want to have the blue message when they text somebody on an iPhone? I think it's just because that's what they're used to. Well, it's the cachet, I think. I think oh, you know, they, they want other people. I mean, I, I do know, I mean, if you look at different cultures, there are a lot of cultures where um, on this planet today, I'm not going to mention them directly, but that believe that, you know, they want to show wealth even when they have no wealth. So... You know, and I think it would go even as far as, as things like your phone, because if they were forced to use an Android phone, um, they wanted to appear that they're using an iPhone, or you know, I mean, there's a whole other discussion about the Beeper app and the battle that Apple is playing with them right now. Part of it, Apple is toying with them because they're helping Apple find holes in their own implementation, and so they're letting them go on for a while, but eventually it'll all get cut off. They've already, it already said that the Beeper app on Android, uh, which still requires you to have an iCloud account to log in, um, 
is uh, about 5% of the users randomly are getting their messages blocked, which tells me that Apple knows how to fix it, and they're toying with the Beeper folks right now. But, you know, my opinion of Beeper is, okay, so, yeah, Beeper wants to, to talk to iMessage and stuff. But, again, that breaks the security model of, you know, end-to-end -end encryption. Because now you have people who, we, we don't know how the Beeper app is, you know, coded. It's not a, uh, an open source app. But we'll, I'm going to leave that off for there. Another interesting thing was, you know, months ago, GM decided that they were no longer going to support uh, uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto, and they were going to develop their own infotainment system for the cars. And so this week, well, actually yesterday, a GM executive clarified the statement, and it's total BS. He goes, the reason we, we're moving away is for safety, because... CarPlay and Android Auto are so unreliable <laughs> that uh, users have to pick their phone up while they're driving to fix issues. In, in, in all of my days using either of those, I've never had to pick my phone up for issues. Me neither. Me neither. They, they, they're real... GM wants to do the infotainment. They want to cut Apple and, and Google out of it, not because Apple and Google are making a ton of money on CarPlay and, and Android Auto. They want to cut it out because they want to be able to uh, sell ad revenue on a service that they control. So they want to sell you ads in your car. I guarantee that's, that's the real issue of what they're doing. Because with Android Auto and and or and uh, Apple CarPlay, they can't do that because they don't control that software infrastructure. I would be heavily... I mean, if they go that route, I'm that just cements the deal that I'll never buy another GM car in my life. And I mean, we were a GM family. My mom was an engineer until she retired at General Motors. Uh, my father-in-law worked on the line at a General Motors plant, you know, until he retired. We get the discount. I, it, well, one, the discount isn't worth anything with General Motors anymore anyway. But if they go that route, you know, it's already proven that software or software companies know how to write good code and, and even they have issues where they have to patch things with bugs and everything else. The, uh, the automakers have proven that they're terrible at writing code and patching bugs and understanding what a digital vehicle is actually it's kind of funny because I don't believe that um, for a minute that Tesla's are super superior vehicles over other uh, automakers electric vehicles but I do know that what makes the Tesla really special is its software because Tesla's really a software company not a car company and, I mean, they've proven that in a couple other ways. We've had that discussion with Dr. Yeah. Sean and, and everything else. So uh, why would I trust GM to, you know, curtail what infotainment I get in my vehicle? You know, and then, well, what if I want to, how does it integrate? Am I just getting Bluetooth again? Can I order a car with nothing so that I can put a third-party system in? You know, GM's making it look like no, because those infotainment computers are a third computer that runs some of the other systems in in the vehicles that they make. Um, so I, I think that is highly, highly unlikely. And then... Uh, let's talk about this going through my show notes while we're we're doing this um burger king has filed for bankruptcy you know that's been a a, a long time coming yeah. I, i've been hearing for a while now that they, they haven't been in in the best of of shape how uh, how bad is it it's pretty bad because it's not really that burger king itself the corporation has filed for bankruptcy what has happened is um 
two Meridian Restaurants Unlimited and uh-huh. Premier Kings, which run about. Mm, oh, and Tom's King, three of the the franchisee because their franchisee model is different than right. So they, uh, but that that's uh, like five hundred Burger Kings across the United States. Um, well, actually, in regional areas, those three have filed for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. So, um, it is pretty bad because that with that reorganization and the sell-off of assets and everything else, it's likely that Burger King is going to lose market share in those locations, or, or you know, in regional locate regional size locations. So, you know, across three or four states, and that's that was kind of the downfall when we we saw it back in the '80s when you had. Uh, you know, I, I today we would call them casual sit-down restaurants, but you know they were they were I, I always thought of them as, as the travel restaurants. You know that serviced folks who were driving on the highways across the country. But we lost Friendlies and we lost uh, Shoney's and we lost I mean that and you know there's little pockets of those still in existence everywhere, but a lot of that is lost. You know, I can't remember the one that had the A-frame. Restaurants and they always had honey butter was their kind of thing. They serve you bread with honey butter, or bu- uh, rolls with honey butter. Is that Howard Johnson or? Well, Hojo's was part of that, but no, it was it was something that was more Ohio North. It was really a, a I think it was an Ohio chain. I just remember eating there with my grandmother when we would travel and stuff. Because she loved the honey butter and the rolls. But, you know, they were co-located usually with giant gas stations, but they were a full restaurant and all this. All those, none of the thing like that exists anymore, you know. But, you know, there's even other chain restaurants who, who did that, like Bennigan's. Yeah. You know, for the most part, TGI Fridays, same thing happened. Their franchisees started to... Uh, go bankrupt, and then all of a sudden there was no market share in regional areas, and you know, so then people didn't go to the when they traveled and and went other places. They didn't go to those restaurants either, and it's kind of a chain re- chain reaction. Uh, but there's also um, three or four other of their large franchisee companies who are on the edge of bankruptcy as well. Now, I will say this, and since I travel a lot, uh, I can't say it's something local, although it's pretty terrible locally, but the quality of food service from fast food restaurants <laughs> has, I mean, mm-hmm. cratered. Like, and, and, and it is spotty, because it's, it's spotty by location, but I haven't eaten at a Wendy's in like three years because all the Wendy's that are local to where I am they can't get your order right you know you're going through the drive through line and it's taking 30 or 40 minutes uh, Chipotle evidently is having issues and you know Chipotle I don't know if they still are but they were originally they were started by McDonald's and so they were owned by McDonald's but uh, you can get on like like all of the southwestern Ohio um, communities, you know, Facebook groups, mm-hmm. you get in there and there's complaints about Chipotle's. And now maybe it's a regional thing here in Ohio, maybe because they have bad management overall. But, you know, even the local Starbucks have had issues where, like, the managers quit and they have to shut up shop because they don't have anybody to run the store, you know, until they can hire a new manager. Uh, I've had I, I've had personal experience with two local Starbucks now that where the manager quit, and they basically told everybody to go home and shut the store up, and and they weren't open for months until they could get new managers. You know, which means that the people who worked there weren't earning a living, so they had to go find new jobs. Um, well, that's a that's a problem with the management model. I mean, if you don't have a dedicated assistant manager that could step up 
you're not churning the next generation leader. Well, I and, and that's that. just a business but, vision but thing. I think in the case of at least at one of the Starbucks I knew about, um, the assistant manager had already quit, and then the manager quit. <laughs> you know, within like a two week period. But when they quit, it was you know this is fast food and it's at will employment. It's like I quit, and they walk off. Yeah. You know, um, I've seen the same thing happen at a. But there isn't a single employee that couldn't step up. You would think there they could be because I mean in reality. Because man, if I'm working at a fast food restaurant and and my management just up and quits, uh, but this is the only job I have, and the alternative is unemployment. Well, I think, I think I step up. I think in that case, it is definitely an issue of poor management model. Um, because the reality of it is, is you know, the manager and the assistant manager, they're probably the only two, because the employees run the store. Right. Managers only typically deal with the, the, the public in, when there's a problem. You know, get the manager. We, Correct. When Karen comes in. Yeah. Um, but they do all the back-end stuff that the employees aren't trained on, like how to order new food. And that's been one of the complaints at the Chipotle is, like, you go to the, the Chipotle by me and the one up in Lost and Landing has been you go in at, like, 1 in the afternoon and they don't have any chicken. They don't have certain vegetables. And it's like because the managers aren't ordering the right stuff. And so customers are walking away. Well, couldn't that also be a supply chain problem? I don't think so. Because um, if it were a supply chain problem, I would figure it would be much wider. Now, I do know that you know the the Bidenomics economy is affecting not just us consumers; it is affecting these businesses. Look at the, you know, you can't buy a Happy Meal at McDonald's without spending ten bucks now, and that's without a toy, and they give you apples instead of fries. <laughs> you know, so. It's hitting these restaurants, too, and what what's the other thing that happens when, you know, your money at the grocery store doesn't go as far? That means fewer people are purchasing at the now new, more expensive restaurants. It's a, it's a zero-sum game because the restaurants have to raise their prices, and but people aren't coming in because they're paying more to, to eat at home, you know, and, and on the basic necessities... And, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's a... It's a vicious cycle. Well, it's, it's a negative feedback loop. Because yeah. the worse it gets, the more people eat at home, you know. Um, so I expect to see a lot more restaurants, fast food, and others. Which, you know, that industry, uh, even in good times, 30% of all restaurants go out of business. It's, restaurants are really hard to... Because, you know, the public's fickle. You have a... A bad experience at a restaurant, like, you know. Well, and that's got to be even worse with chains because now you're talking about a, a brand that is has got expectations behind the brand. You know, like when you go to McDonald's, you expect the hamburger to taste like a McDonald's hamburger every time, everywhere. Absolutely. I totally agree with you in that respect. You know, it's the consistency is what you expect from from fat, well, particularly chain restaurants, whether it's fast food or not. Right. You know, I tend to eat at chain restaurants, not because I love the food, but it's because I, um, I have food allergies. And so I know if I go to this restaurant, I can eat these three things. If I go to that restaurant, I can eat these three things. You know, Cracker Barrel has got really bad financials right now. And typically, Cracker, you, well, Cracker Barrels are one of my favorite places to go because Food allergies. Most yeah. most of what's on their menu, I can eat. And, uh, and Bob Evans is another one that I, I love. But Cracker Barrel has, in their last earnings call, it was dismal. You know? But, but, and Bob Evans has been awful for a long time. Yeah. So. And, uh, and those restaurants, for the most part, particularly since I travel a lot, I eat at a lot of them. They, they're still providing good service and, and everything else. Now, their prices have gone up, but again, you know... Prices have gone up everywhere. Yeah, economic factors have, have 
changed that. Their costs have gone up. And, you know, it's kind of funny. People complain about restaurants and, you know, why is it so expensive? Well, I, I saw in one of those food shows, I, Gordon Ramsay, you know, one of them, you know, you watch, and I wasn't totally paying attention, but he made something, he said something that, um, in one of those kitchen nightmare shows where he was helping a restaurant, he's like, your prices are too low. And they looked at him and, you know, what do you mean they're too low? And he goes, there, there's a formula that is kind of the rule of thumb that, that restaurants have to follow. And it's like 10x. You know, if it costs them $1.25 to make it, it's going to cost you 10 or $11 to buy it. Yeah. And the reason is, is because they got to pay all the overhead there's very people think restaurants are making all this profit when they they raise their prices they're really not you know restaurants probably live on a high-end restaurant and that's the other thing there's differences low-end restaurants like mcdonald's they probably live on a two percent profit margin they probably make two percent profit like if you're buying a 350 bundle um which what a year and a half ago was three bucks maybe you know, but if you're paying the 350 bundle, uh, that's got to cover insurance. It's got to cover uh, the building maintenance, the keeping the staff employed. You know, all of that. It, it, there's a percentage of that, and very little of that is actual profit. And because of like McDonald's franchisee model, model, the franchisee gets. Uh, of what's left, they get like 85%. McDonald's gets like 15% because they paid for the building and own the real estate. And so they were paying the taxes and everything, you know, where all these locations are located. Um, so, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, of uh, overhead in restaurants. And that's just talking fast food. You know, the, the finer dining, the, the higher the level of dining, the longer it takes you to dine in a restaurant, that formula goes up because, you know, they're not uh, cranking through the number of customers as fast as they possibly could. They, uh, you know, it, it takes longer. That's why when you go to, to uh, like a Ruth Chris Steakhouse, that's a two or three hour experience to eat there. So the prices of the food represent the fact that you're renting that space for two to three hours. Um, kind of my soapbox about that because i don't believe in tipping frankly <laughs> it's it's out of hand in the united states if you if you i get good service i will tip and i will tip very generously um but if i get bad service i'm not tipping anybody and that's the way it should be the other thing is i want to say this too is because matt and i talk about destructive change all the time i don't think this is a bad thing I think McDonald's in and of itself uh, and some of the Burger King and a lot of these places, they need to shrink the number of locations they have. Correct. They're, I mean, within a mile and a half, there are three McDonald's. I live in the country, and within a mile and a half, there are three McDonald's. <laughs> and uh, two of them are owned by the same franchisee. What... This is the same problem that we have in healthcare. Yes. When you can't throw a rock and not hit uh, an urgent care or a hospital or or some, you know, big campus of healthcare, you know, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same problem. Yeah. You know, so no wonder. Yeah, I can't see a doctor. Correct. Well, and you know, there's. We talk about, I, I, part of this issue is because I, I work in the research, and some of that research we work in is within medical research, and when you go deal with these hospital companies, like Kettering Health, or Cardinal Health, or Vanderbilt Health, or all of these, the doctors really are not making... Everybody thinks, oh, it's the doctors and the nurses that are making all this money. And the reality of it is, no. Uh, they're understaffed because 
their their hospitals are being the the, the hospital companies which own all the hospitals and everything else. Um, they are running like we would run run lean manufacturing at a, at a mm-hmm. manufacturing plant, and so they're only hiring enough doctors and nurses to get the job done, which then creates a backlog, and they don't care if there's a backlog, and you know, and they want to so. They and then they're hiring nurse practitioners and physicians assistants who can prescribe medicine to act like doctors, but they don't have to pay them like doctors, you know. And I think getting rid of these medical companies and going back to the old way of I, I do think there's a twofold thing. I don't believe in a whole lot of government regulation, but one of the things I believe on, uh, particularly in the case of healthcare, is that. All hospitals, there, there must be a standard codified list of procedures. You know, you have a broken leg, and every hospital has the same billing code and the same name for it. Because right now, we have this transparency law that Trump put in place, but they didn't put anything around it. So one hospital calls a broken leg a fracture, and another hospital calls a broken leg a broken leg, and another hospital calls it, you know, something else. And... They don't have to have the same billing codes. So it's hard to go and go, well, this hospital is only charging you $100 for the broken leg, while this hospital is actually charging you $1,000 for a fracture. And so there's no transparency in what you're getting charged. But, uh, you know, that's that's what these businesses are for, because the business is really about medical billing, not about patient care. Correct. So we need to go back to the old way of hospitals, um, each hospital is independent of itself. The other thing that happened, because our, our doctor owned a private practice, and uh, and then he he had another doctor who was his partner, and when that doctor retired, he brought in a couple more doctors. And it was great, and the care I've always gotten from our family doctor has been great. Well, because these hospital companies came in and bought all the hospitals, they forced the doctors not... They, they said, unless you sell your private practice to us you cannot have rounds to check on your patients at our hospital and so they had to sell their private practice and the care the doctor's care is still great but the care uh, that you receive overall from them has fallen because it's now being run by a bureaucracy not being run by you know the doctors and 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 the nurses they chose to hire as their staff now and now half the time you can't get an appointment with a doctor um you if you want to see somebody you see a physician's assistant or a, a, a nurse practitioner a nurse practitioner That's, not to say they are not skilled people but it is not the same care that you get from a doctor but here's the thing that aggravates me about that if i'm being charged by the insurance company for a copay for a specialist and I'm seeing a nurse practitioner. Absolutely. That's that's not that's not right. No, it is not. But what happens is when they they bill it, um, the burden is on the person or on the company uh, who receives the bill for their you know to to then challenge it, and that usually ends poorly for the person who needed the care because their insurance either rejects it or in the case of Medicaid and Medicare, they, they don't reject anything, but they don't have enough people to check everything. And so the taxpayer ends up getting screwed out of a whole bunch of money. I mean, it is, they say that 80% of the medical billing for Medicare and Medicaid is probably 80% too high. Think about that. That's your federal and state tax money. You know? Somebody is making a boatload of money. Yeah. And it ain't me. I know. I keep telling my boss and my boss's boss, I said, we need to change the focus of our company to be a medical company. (laughs) We're on the medical research side. We get federal money, but it... uh, it ain't like the, what the hospitals and hospital associations and companies are making. Okay, let's move on to pop culture. Here so, we go. Um, I guess the big elephant in the room is Hasbro laid off 1,100 people yesterday. 
and they're not a very big company. Um, most of them were a lot. Well, a lot of them were from Wizards of the West Coast, so the Dungeons and Dragons people, the CEO or the president, and I think the VP of sales or whatever. They're both from Microsoft, and I don't think they see at least the the trend is that they don't see value in tabletop games anymore. And so they have a, you know, they're trying to appify Dungeons and Dragons so that you have input app purchases and all this other stuff. They're, they're trying to jump on that bandwagon. And the role-playing role game community is exactly the opposite. I mean, they, they don't not use digital technology. Heck, Back in the early 90s, we were writing programs that would th randomly throw the dice for us for games like Starfleet Command and, and, and uh, or, yeah, you know. We even had uh, character sheet applications that would, we could store our character in and then modify it and print it off. And, you know, that, that way you didn't have to have pencil and paper all the time. But, you know, what they're trying to do is, is the big thing is they're trying to, these two people who are not fit for the toy industry are trying to uh, you know, appify it so that they can get in that purchase and, and I more than likely ads. Everybody wants to jump on the ad bandwagon. So that sucks. Um, and you can tell it's been a couple months and you knew something was going on because if you went to discount stores like Ollie's um, you were seeing a whole bunch of Dungeons and Dragons stuff and Marvel action figures. Uh, some of my, I've bought G.I. Joe classifieds at Ross for less. I mean, things that the first time I bought the figure, well, there was like a three pack of Vipers and I paid $90 for it, which is about right. The figures were retailed for $25 a piece, but these came with a lot more accessories. So they were a little more. The first three pack I paid $89 for. The second two free three packs I bought at Ross for less for $15 a piece. I just bought three action figures while I was traveling because I found a Ross for less for $5.99 and they retail for $24.99. Um, and those are G.I. Joe's. I mean, people are actively buying them. Um, and people are actively funding the HasLabs, you know, their, their Kickstarter campaigns. Mm -hmm. I just got my HasLab His Tank. Uh, I have not opened it. I, I opened the outer shipping boxes to look at because the artwork on the main box is beautiful. Yeah. And and, and uh, but I have not opened. I I don't know. I I'm still toying with because I don't really have a place to display it. I mean, it's it's That's a pretty sizable piece. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because these are these are one twelfth action figures, so they're six inches a piece. And I mean, I love those, and that's what I wish Playmates had done with. But going back to this Hasbro thing. Um, Hasbro, you know, they've Disney's burnt out the whole Marvel Action Universe stuff, and so you know the high end Hasbro figures they burn out Star Wars, the high end uh, six inch Star Wars black figures. You're finding them at all these discount places, you know, and it's it's not like you're finding the figure nobody wanted to buy. You're finding figures that were pretty good because I almost bought a Han Solo. Uh, black figure at Ross the other day and I'm like nah I don't need that one because I've been getting out of Star Wars well I'm very picky about the Star Wars figures I collect um, and I have like 900 Han Solos <laughs> it was one I didn't have but it was also the old Han Solo from uh, The Last Jedi or whatever they called it or the whatever the you know the crappy Star Wars movies that Disney made that killed Han Solo off Were you planning to talk about Playmates? Oh, uh, yeah. So the the rumors have been around, mainly in the Facebook Star Trek Playmates groups and stuff like this, um, because Playmates, one of their executives belongs to that group under a pseudonym. And uh, he'd been... I, I, I guarantee you, there's no way he had this insider information unless he worked for Playmates at a relatively le high level. But somebody on the, the main group said if things don't turn around playmates is going to discontinue the playmates star trek action figures now they're still going to make the ships and the props because those are selling like hotcakes but they're going to quit well they finally made the 
the official announcement that they're not making action figures anymore. Now, because of the warning, I went on, I, I found the Prodigy figures, the four that they actually released, and I bought one of each. Only so I, because I'm a completionist in that respect. And, uh, And uh, the uh, the funny thing about it was the figures really are not that good. They're not. They they made them bigger than the original Playmates, which were mm. four and a half inches, and these were like five, five and a quarter. The sculpts were better in some respects uh, than the old Playmates. But the price point. But the went price up point. Too. It, they were a five, you know all the the entire run of Playmates action figures they were four ninety nine a piece yeah these were twelve ninety nine yes now when you compared them to the Star Wars Black and the GI Joe Classifieds and the Marvel Ultra or whatever they they're the, they're the classified slash black version of the Marvel figures which all sell for twenty four ninety nine there's even Indiana Jones ones that sell for twenty four ninety nine the sculpts. The accessories, uh, the posability, everything on those figures was are really very good, uh, and the fact that you could make customs because they they use similar uh, across all the lines, they use similar manufacturing techniques for the figures so that you know you could swap arms and vests and torsos and waists and you know it, some of them required a little bit of work, some of them didn't, but. You know, that allows you to swap heads so you could take another figure and put a head from a Marvel character on it. And now you have, you know, Sergeant Snoopy and, and uh, or Sergeant Snuffy and, you know, and, and, you know, that you could have with your G.I. Joes. You know, the guy who, who in the comic books would be the guy who, who was kind of nameless that Cobra tortured and G.I. Joe was sent into, you know, <laughs> it's a little too close to home. <laughs> uh, but you know, there and also Hasbro recognized where the collecting market in those toys are, and that is not your eight-year-old kid. You know, it was adults who wanted those figures, and that's the same case with the Star Trek figures, because there is a company out there, and I missed it. I didn't get my pre-order, and they only wanted twenty dollars for the pre-order, um, but they made a beautiful. It, I mean, the figure costs, at the end of the day, with your $20 pre-order, the figure costs you $250 in total. But a beautiful, and, and they have the pre-order out for the Strange New Worlds Spock, but they started with Pike. And it looks like Anson Mount, and the uniform is beautiful, and the accessories, the fig, now these figures are 12-inch. I think they're 12-inch. They're bigger than the, the 112 scale. But even the phaser, you could take the, hand phaser out of the pistol phaser you know and it came with multiple hands and multiple heads and all this because that's what collectors want because they i mean yeah do i pose my figures on my desk occasionally yes but am i out there playing with them all the time no it's something i want to look at as as a collector and they knew that their market was selling to collectors and playmates they don't get it because I, I actually think as bad a shape as Hasbro has been in, because, again, this is another, there, there's a, a it, it's kind of like the fa the restaurant industry and these fast food restaurants. There is a shift. Kids are playing a lot more electronic games and, and stuff like that than they were when we were kids. Um, but there are kids who appreciate and want to play with, with G.I. Joes and things like that. There is a shift in the market. But Playmates has not recognized that most toys that are being made should be made for people who collect, not for kids to play with. Some of those, and if they do, you need to do it like Hasbro did and made the figures $25 a piece. Yeah, are they expensive? But if you really look at inflation, you know, when the original three and three quarter G.I. Joes came out in uh, 82, they were... They were a dollar. You could buy them on sale sometimes for a dollar seventy nine, but they were like a dollar ninety nine a piece, and that was like for the first two years that they were out, and then they went up to like two fifty, and then two ninety nine, 
you know, but look at the run. That was from 92 or 82 to 94, so over a 12-year period. Um, the price never got above $5. And that's right around when Playmates started making their figures and they were $5. So when you look at inflation, $25 for a really sculpted toy that that has a lot of accessories and stuff uh, that are fun to play with versus $2, it's probably about right. Because, you know, I always tell my kids, uh, I said, you know, when I was a kid, you could do about anything you wanted to do for $5. If you had $5, you could buy a toy, go to McDonald's and see a movie. <laughs> you know? Well, matinee. Anyway. Yeah, matinee. Yeah. And, uh, and today, that number is, it's, well, lately it's been increasing. But for a long time, uh, if you had 20 bucks, you know, that was about the same thing. You could buy a toy, eat at McDonald's, go see a movie. <laughs> matinee. A matinee, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't think $24 for that is out of hand. No, but it's out of hand for well, even twelve was too much for for the for the quality for what we got. Correct for what we got. Well, and I also don't think they had a the correct distribution model because the Star Trek figures there were only three places I ever found them. You could order them off Amazon, which I ordered the Prodigy figures, and I ordered Riker and Data because those were the only two I couldn't find in the stores. And I've since found Data. Uh, that's how I got my second Data. Um, and I found Riker too, but I already had two Rikers. But the Walmart had them in two places. Walmart had them in the regular toy aisle, and then they had them in the collector's area. And it was really weird because, you know, and they were in the same, you know, same price. Target, nobody knew that Target had them because very. I don't think people, unless you really, really are into collecting know that target has a whole wall of like collectible figures out behind the records and everything it's not in the regular toy section gi joe classifieds are all in the regular toy section so you know what does that mean well they should have been working with their retailers which again there's not as many retailers around as there used to be but they should have been working with the retailers saying these need to be in the regular toy aisle i have a feeling that part of the the because that's the other thing. The ships and the props at Walmart were always in the regular toy aisle. But the, uh, even on the new figures. But, yeah. And, and Target, I'd never seen them there. So, you know, what, what was going on? Well, Target was treating it as a collectible because I think they had a good idea that it was market. Uh, that the market, I, Walmart, I don't think they knew what to do with it. And so they put so it. So they both, did both. Yeah. They did both, and eventually they got rid of it out of the the collectible toy area, and they put them over in the regular toy aisle. Because in the collectible toy area, they have all the Mego figures, the, mm -hmm. the new licensed Mego figures, right? Which some of them have terrible sculpts, but again, they're not well, and they're charging a lot for them. But there's 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 nostalgia wrapped around the. Mego figures, you know. The other thing I think they made a huge mistake on is they only released like eight figures, and then they were supposed to release six Prodigy figures. They only released four. But they, the Prodigy figures were released like months after the... And I never saw those in stores. I had to order mine online. But that being said, they had eight figures. Only two of the characters were original characters, and that was Burnham and Saru. Everybody else was a remake of somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, I I hate to tell you this, but I don't need another Picard. I don't need another Riker. I don't need another Data. I don't need... Oh, but you do now because it's a slightly bigger figure. Yeah. So now the whole set is... Correct. ...is askew. And I... I Although I... The three figures that I thought were done better ever than the Playmates, but even they are still kind of... When you compare them to like the Star Wars Black and the G.I. Joe Classifieds, they suck. Were the Rathacon, Kirk, Spock, and, and Khan. Um, now, I can see making those three figures because that year, that this year that they released them, was the anniversary of Rathacon. But they had so, much, so many other things they could have 
they could have had more of Discovery figures because they the two figures they chose were the two figures that are probably everybody's least favorite. Uh, they certainly are mine. And but they you know you had the whole Strange New World cast. They didn't do any of Strange New World figures. Their newest show. They didn't do any any figures for that show. Well, uh, I think part of that was, was, done, was Prodigy was a was a mess. Yeah. Uh, when they had to go find a new home for Prodigy, I mean, if Paramount Plus can't can't keep Prodigy, something's wrong. Uh, and Nickelodeon couldn't keep it. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. But they could have done Lower Decks. I would have loved Lower Decks figures, man. Me too. I think they'd have been fun. You know, I... I want a Boimler and a Mariner, and I mean, I would want to keep in Freeman. I would have collected all of them because, to me, that the lower decks was is one of my favorite, and that's where I would have done the Picards and the Rikers and the, you know, as an homage to bring them in as part of that lower decks. Even if they had released another Picard, they could have done Picard, Riker, Data, and the whole crew from Picard, you know, and then they could have added some new like Rios and and some of the other new characters in there. And I think people would have been behind it because it was stuff they didn't already have. And the other problem with Playmates is when they did the original Playmates line, they made so many figures. I mean, they had obscure, you know, aliens that were in three seconds of a show once, you know, and they had figures for that. And so people weren't real excited to get the same old, same old. They wanted what they had gotten before, which was, which was, uh, you know, unique figures that you hadn't seen before. And it just... Uh, it, it, I blame Playmates, frankly. And I do blame Paramount a little bit, too, because I'm sure what they did is they... They uh, they told Playmates, you know, we it's this anniversary, we would like to see this, and we'd like to see that, and that's all they produced. You know. <clears throat> but, but the other thing is, Paramount's licensing to other people. Again, like the the... Strange New Worlds, uh, Pike and Spock that are being released, and they they have some other Star Trek figures that are for high end collectors. You know, they're I don't expect kids to want to buy a two hundred or be expecting to get a two hundred fifty dollar figure, but uh, I think a twenty five dollar. And if they had done it at one six scale, so it matches all the other collectible figures and you know because right now one six scale is it one six scale has always been hot because the three and three quarter which the original gi joe's is is one eighteenth scale and then one six scale is the 12 inch dolls those are kind of over the years those are kind of the three areas where they've been and if they had done a a one six where you could get accessories because right now because the gi joe classified in star wars uh black and uh, and the Marvel figures, they're all in one six. There's a ton of third party companies who are making accessories, diorama plates where you can build it like Legos and have, you know, science fiction or army or you know whatever. Um, so you can display your figures. But these are, I mean, the, these dioramas are made so that if kids wanted to play with them, they could play with them. They're not so fragile that you know. And uh, particularly now that classified is starting to build. Uh, build the vehicles to go with them because I just got my his his tank and it it is big my mom for my birthday because when I was 10 for my birthday I got the original dragonfly with wild bill well from my mom for my birthday got me the HasLab for the the Joe classified dragonfly with wild bill which comes with more than just wild bill now so you know, and I'm expecting that to be, because the original one was like yeah. 18 inches long and and everything. I, th- I imagine the the new one's going to be like three feet long. It's going to be awesome, and it comes with a stand and and like rockets with the the exhaust that you can put on it to make it look like it's in a battle formation. Have they uh, have and they have they talked about the aircraft carrier yet? They have not, and I imagine that one will be a Haslab. But they uh, they did a three and three quarter O ring. Skystriker was the first G.I. Joe Haslab. Now, I didn't order that one. I'm kind of... I have all my original O-Ring Joes, and I don't... I don't really feel that I need to relive 
that through another Sky Striker because I have like three Sky Strikers and you know I have I've even sold some of my stuff because I know it's I'll, it like the Terradrome and some of that. It was like I'll never have enough room to to display this mm-hmm. ever again, and it's sitting in a box. What am I doing with it? Yeah. Uh, so I would my personally I would shy away from from uh, an aircraft carrier, but because they did the Sky Striker, I might. I think they might re-release that as a uh, HasLab in the future. But non-HasLab G.I. Joe, they've released, because I already pre-ordered it, the Vamp. You know, the Jeep mm-hmm. with the driver. And uh, Clutch was the driver's name. But that thing, that's going to be general availability, meaning you, you should be able to find that in stores and stuff when it comes available. And that's going to be really cool. Uh you know, and they've done the trouble pods for the the uh, Cobra, and they're like about this big, you know, and and those are generally available. So, you know, they're they're getting on board, getting stuff done. There is a some guys in one of my GI Joe 3D printing groups on Facebook who has recreated the aircraft carrier at one six scale that you can 3D print. And, you know, and it's modular, so you print the modules and you put them. Oh right, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's shown some of it, and it's really cool. But I'd be like, I can't display the three and three quarter inch <laughs> Terradrome. Where am I going to put the uh, the uh, six inch, you know, GI Joe aircraft carrier? But again, I th- I think it's a missed opportunity. And the other reason I think it's a missed opportunity for Playmates is. Playmates re-released the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they're all over the place with it. Um, you know, they have the new Turtles for the mo- that last movie that they had. And then they have Turtles that are reminiscent of the previous Turtles from back, you know, in the late 80s through the 90s when they had the Star Trek franchise originally. It just... They don't know what they're doing. The other thing that's happened, too... Is like Hasbro, they're not turning everything over, but McFarlane Toys is going to be doing some special G.I. Joe sets with smaller figures, smaller than three and three quarter. Um, and, you know, McFarlane bought Diamond Select and, and all of those other really high-end toys, or toy companies, you know, who had really good sculptors and were making you know, kind of premium action figures. The Enterprise, you know, Diamond Select was Enterprise figures. And even the, the phasers and phase pistols that they produced as props were actually used in several episodes of Enterprise. <clears throat> you know, they were screen-ready capable. Yep. And so, uh, and they were not out of hand price-wise. Lord, I think the phase pistol that came with the communicator, that was only like $25 back then. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it wasn't like you were spending hundreds of dollars on, uh, like, some of these prop makers. And I understand that, too. They spend hours and hours and hours trying to make every detail perfect and, and everything. And they, they also, they're building them by hand versus factory, you know, doing it. But it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. Do I think Hasbro is going to go away? No. Do I think Playmates goes away? I think it's a very real possibility. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the the struggle with Playmates is one particular line. You know, I mean, it's not like they're laying people off. Correct. You, you know. It, well, but they're they're not doing well with the other lines that they have. Part of it, like I said, is can be blamed on just a a shift in what kids want to play with anymore. You know, the one toy that doesn't seem to have this problem is Lego. Yeah. You know, kids still love to play with Lego. And and they're still collectible, too. Correct. You know, so, I mean, it's... Even when they're open, they're collectible. Yeah. Oh, you have that figure? They only came in this set for this year? Yeah. I want that version of, you know, there's several Harry Potter figures that are that way, and several Marvel figures, and Star Wars figures, and there's this this huge, uh, you know, market for that and stuff. It's out of hand. 
we'll have to see what 2024 brings us because it's going to suck here in Ohio. <laughs> Looking forward to it. I know. Well, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Uh, please send us feedback at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. And uh, we wish all of our listeners, again, a happy holidays and a happy new year. And uh, we'll see on not only on the digital flip side, but on the annual flip side. Gizmo Sapiens, a technology and entertainment podcast. You can reach us at our email address at gizmosapiens at gmail.com. That's G-I-Z-M-O-S-A-P-I-E-N-S at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you, and we'll see you next week from the digital flip side. <laughs>